Hello and welcome to the lore you know. Um, Hi! Sarah's tired and I'm sick and so I'm going to be mostly quiet and she's going to be a little quiet so hopefully today will be, you know, alright for get everyone my watching. Back. Right? I mean you're sick. You better not uh, be the, the, the C word. No, no, it's it's uh, sinuses. Oh, With I get me, it, I get it. It's usually always sinuses. Yeah, yeah. Every day. Anywho, today, right. what are we doing today, boss? Oh, I was going to do the coffee thing. For oh, those of you God. who like coffee as much as I do, of course, head over to Found Familiar. My affiliate link is now in chat. Use WH Pubs for 10% off. That was my spiel for today. I'm going <laughs> to be mostly quiet now. But we're talking about the Ganges Forest and the Haggard Hills today and all of the little bits around them. So let's start with... I guess we'll actually start with the Malthia because it's oh, the Malthia. it's like the little part right between the Kelder and the Ganges that is our yeah, segue between the two from last week. So in our week. tour, our tour of the our tour of Galspav, where we went, we were like do 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 do, and then we did this giant leap, <laughs> and then we went, do 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 do, and then we went. I can't move my arm. And then we went do 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 do, and, and we went back, and then we went back over here, and then we went over here, and then we wandered around here for like three episodes, and then we went up here, and then we were like do do do, and then we went over here, and then we went do do do, and then we were like blah 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 blah, blah. and then we went up here, and then we went all the way up here, and then we went down here, and now we're in a mouth. It's a really long jog. <laughs> and I mean, we're on episode like thirty-five or something, so that's honestly, I mean, I it's that. been quite the journey so far. And there's yeah. still so far to go. There's still so far to go. We haven't even touched the ocean yet. Um, barely. Anyway, so Malthia. So yeah. Um, and we've done more than just the tour of the Gan of the tour of Gelspot too. But anyway, yeah, Malthia. Uh, so Malthia. Um, so we talked last time about Antanazu and how kind of Malthians came and moved in there and stuff like that. So like, who the hell are the Amalthians? Today, they're something different than what they used to be, as is the case so much because of the Divine War. Long ago, and I don't know how long, um, Amalthia was the capital of a vast empire of peace and wisdom. The next question I have is the empire of what? Which empire wasn't the capital of the Lydian Empire? That was, that was over here. Um, it wasn't the capital of the Empire of the Flame, that was down here. Sure as heck wasn't the capital of the Slorathian Empire, unless it was. <laughs> but I don't think so. Um, and it wasn't the capital of the Snake People, or the Elves, or the... Uh, anyway, I don't know what empire it was the capital of. But it was an empire of peace and wisdom, so it was... Or at least historically. Um, at least as they remember. It was, a, it was a place of learning, that's for sure, and arts and stuff, and architecture, and cool things, and they know that because there's a museum, and that's what the museum told them. Nobody really did. Um, but in any case, vast empire or something, and as empires are wont to do, certainly as the Lydian Empire did, uh, it eventually fell to stagnation and corruption and, and meh, till finally it was down to the little city-state of, basically city-state of Amalthia and the immediate areas um, running as far south as Antanazu, which which wasn't the Canyon of Souls yet, um, because Inkili hadn't built it yet, and um, but the Ganges was there, um, so it was just, just that. Um, and the king, the, the empire was on its death throes, as empires are wont to do, 
Um, and as, as it was falling apart, a pair of lovers, a pair of lovers, uh, kept the culture alive by creating a new government that worshipped Denev. This is again in the history books of Amalthia. Um, they cleansed the city of the evil and of the corruption and built a hub of culture and art. So this is what their legends say. What empire? Who were these lovers? I have no idea. Um, but in any case, um, they were basically that until the Divine War. So it was just sort of this really nice, jazzy place. Not very big, like I said. It, it basically just this sort of region between, um, in and including Antanazo at the time, Antanazo up to the edge of the bleak savanna, which wasn't the bleak savanna yet. It was just the savanna <laughs> um and and to the ganges and the keldars and it was just sort of this strip here in this region um and then the divine war happened and everything went to shit because everything went to shit <laughs> um, and a lot of refugees fleeing from various other places that were just having bad things horrible things happen um fled to this region because this region was still getting stomped on but not as much as some of the other regions and known for nice people and um, particularly uh, refugees who were followers of Denev would go there and be like, can we come in because the elves won't let us in? And they're like, sure. Um, and uh, some re refugees tried to come in. Um, but then, um, and then they got there and found that the people they were expecting to find were just not there. And the city, which was a pretty big city, was basically empty. And these refugees are like, where the hell did everybody go? We were coming in and they're not here. And what's going on? And they searched for apparently like a week trying to find the hundreds of thousands or at least tens of thousands of people who were supposed to live in the city. And um, finally, in the, they got into the University of Arts, which was this really, you know, one of the many universities in Gilsbad. This was one of the more ancient ones. Um, and they, they broke into the university and found several thousand of the citizens there cowering in terror, hiding in the university, for, and who had been hiding there for several weeks, long before the refugees um, apparently um, made it there. Um, and they were like, what happened, you guys? Why are you hiding? What, what did, was the Titan's bond? Did a Titan come through here? What happened? Why are you so freaked out? And the people were so scared, they couldn't even describe why they were hiding. They were like so freaked out. And so the refugees were like, we'll help you. We came to, for you to help us, but we'll help you. And they sort of kind of tried to help these poor citizens. And a lot of them went mad. And the rest of them couldn't even describe what it was that had freaked them out so much. But they searched the rest of the city. They didn't find any bodies. They didn't find any evidence. They didn't find any Titan footprints. There was, there was no other sign of what it was that freaked everybody out. But the refugees were like, we'll stay anyway. It's still safer here, maybe. Assuming whatever freaked you out doesn't come back. And they attempted to revive the city. Um, and more refugees came. Because, like you do, it was still the Divine War was still going on. More refugees showed up and bolstered the population. And um, the only the only stipulation the, the folks there made was you got to worship Denif. Because we're sort of big on that. And everyone's like, okay, that's fine. We don't mind. She's on the side of the gods. We're good with that. And, um, yeah, there was that. But the University of Arts that the people had hidden in, they kind of left it empty. They were like, we're not going back there. <laughs> and everyone's like, okay. 
and everything was was okay. They sort of rebuilt it after the war and repopulated, and the population got up to it didn't fill the city again, but it was still doing pretty healthy. Um, it was a pretty good place to live post-war, and went on for good you know, 50, 60, 70 years that way. Then the bad thing happened. And remember a couple episodes ago, we talked about the cannibals at Ket and the horrible Mormites who were like, we're going to kill everything that has anything to do with Zenev because she killed our goddess and our, our Titan. And we really hate her and everything about her. And they sieged, they, they went and attacked the Ganges, the big siege around the Ganges. Well, given that they were also big into just killing any followers of Denev, they also went after Amalthea during this because that was big Denev area. Not the elves, but still Denev followers, and they didn't really care what, what species or race you were. You follow Denev, we want to kill you. So they uh, went after, so, you know, several years into the Druid War, they're like, you know, we can't get in the Ganges, we're going to go go for these guys over on the east. And they, this, the Venomous Brotherhood and the Company of the Fallen Fang, because we have to give them wonderful, creepy names, um, the specific cannibal groups who went after Amalthea. The walls were very strong, and they honestly should have been able to fight them off, because uh, Amalthea was built incredibly well. But they were still underpopulated, because even though a bunch of refugees had come in during the war, it was still not to the numbers that they were at in the heydays of hundreds of years before. But their allies had come to help. Um, and we'll talk about the uh, Convention of Eritrea in a little bit. But basically, they, they had allies. From, well, the elves were busy fighting their own siege. But they had they had help from Calastia, of all places. And Ankila had sent troops um, saying, OK, yeah, we'll, we'll bolster your numbers. Then, and they, and they were ready. They were like, okay, they're coming and all of that business. But then just before the cannibals showed up in Amalthea, Verduck withdrew the troops. And he's like, I, I gotta go kill my dad and take over the empire. Um, so peace out, bye. And he basically withdrew his army and attacked Inkila. And Inkila were like, we were gonna help you, but now he's attacking us because we're not home. So we gotta go, we're sorry. I, we don't mean to, but we gotta leave. And they ran and they, they left. And although they didn't send as many people as Calastia in any case, so they left to go defend their own country from the Calastians. So that happened at the same time. And uh, Amalthea's walls were overrun. Um, and uh, fighting was in the streets and they were really screwed <laughs> at that point. And Tens of thousands died against the cannibals who were just running rampant through the streets. And again, they retreated back to that university of arts that they really didn't like going into for some reason. And they retreated back there as the last line of defense. And just in the nick of time, which given how many tens of thousands died, I wouldn't actually describe as the nick of time, <laughs> but but at least before everybody was dead, um, the Vesian army and I believe the Albadians and Veritre elves finally helped, showed up. Um, they wasn't that they weren't planning to, it just took a while. Um, they showed up and managed to the last few people and, and managed to at least save the folks who were hiding in the university. So after, you know, several tens of thousands of people who'd been living in the city were now just to a couple of thousand people left alive. 
really sad story. And to the point where um, even the Hollow Legionnaires, uh, the Hollow Knights, sorry, the Hollow Knights had sent in forces as well, and they were part of that last battle, um, kicking out the cannibals. And they got there so late that it was kind of too late by the time they arrived. And they felt so bad about it that they built a city based on Amalthian design. I think we talked about that when we did um, the... So we've talked about Amalthian other episodes a little bit here and there. It's kind of a central central influence in a lot of this region. Um, so those who survived um, basically were like, well, that was terrible. But whether they were direct descendants of the old Amalthians or descendants of various refugees who've moved in over the decades, they all still had a sense of purpose. They all really believed in what this city was about and what this what the country that was a part of was about and and not just of Denev, but just of the culture and the art and, and everything around that um, was just so important to them that they were like, we're gonna stay and we're gonna try to rebuild it. But we don't know how, because no one remembers. <laughs> and we don't even speak the old language anymore because it's been so long and so many things had happened that just over decades of just trying to survive. Um, so they built this little town right outside the walls of the city. Built a new wall around that they knew how to make around the town. And and basically the, the rear end of the town goes into the city. But the city is just these old ruins now. Um, but it's kind of neat. They, they keep it really... Uh, they take care of it. They kind of maintained this city really well they 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 cleaned it out of you know during all the battles with the cannibals they you know buried all the bodies and cleaned everything up cleaned up the streets but they don't live in the city anymore they want to rebuild it there were all these palaces and beautiful gardens and mansions and architecture and all this stuff was just totally trashed by the by the cannibals and they were like okay we've got to we want to clean it up but they didn't know how to rebuild these mansions because it was some old architectural lore. Um, so they they basically, since this uh, since the Druid War, which was in, in about 60 years ago in terms of the current timeline of, of Gelsbad and AB150, um, they've just been doing research to figure out how to fix things and fixing little here and there, but not having the full lore of how to do these just giant architectural wonders that these old this old civilization had created. Um, and they just sort of keep it clean. <laughs> like, okay, like like some animals have moved into some of the old buildings and they're like, well, they're okay, we'll keep them out of the streets, we'll sweep things up, we'll, you know, make sure the garden, trim the lawn, you know, whatever it is. But, um, but we can't, you know, it's a huge city, there's only a few thousand of us. We'll do what we can. And a lot of a lot of outsiders would come to Amalthia for various reasons and be like, why are you guys staying? I mean, you could either move back into the city and just not worry about making it like it used to be, like they would do in Shelzar, or you could leave and go to some place that's maybe a little more prosperous, a little easier to live in, like, you know, Dash or something. And they'd ask these questions of the people, and they'd just be like... I don't want to get the exact quote because it's, it's just so lovely. Um, I'd be like, because we have to. <laughs> we It's in honor of the people who died. Or in some cases, I don't know why. 
and they just did. Not really knowing why they have to stay, why they have to make it beautiful. Um, but they, they try. And then, and they're also kind of working on, as I said, trying to, it's all about Denev as well. So it's all about celebrating the Titaness and, and everything around that and around the things that she would inspire as like the true neutral, um, uh, not God, but the true neutral deity of Skarn, it's, it's very much in that, that vibe of live and let live. They're not good, they're not evil, they're not lawful, they're not chaotic, they're kind of very, very neutral vibe of people in Amalthea, very balanced. I've been very close to nature as well, although not quite the same way that the druids, the, uh, druids and elves are. So it's like the urban, the urban true neutral people. <laughs> In so much as this little town of 8,000 remaining people. Um, but Amalthea has some secrets, which is neat. Um, for one, there is the, uh, this thing called Deniv's Heart, which kind of explains it. Of, of the thing and it's this this um, it's mentioned in both new lore and old lore books um, two two things called Denev's heart actually one we'll get to in a bit which is uh, a location in the Ganges but the one that has to do with the Malthia is apparently an artifact as far as we can tell um, but is it literally her heart um, the new lore says it's a giant ruby the old lore doesn't specify exactly what it's made out of, but it's, it implies it's an artifact, not a, you know, you know, like Adam's heart because it ripped out of his chest. But not like that, but but something that Denev has influenced and blessed in some way. And the way it works is when the when this artifact is put somewhere, the region that is around it. <clears throat> is blessed by Denev and um, becomes very, uh, very verdant and very peaceful. And it heals the land that it's, that it's around. And for every year that it's there, that healing goes out like a mile in, in radius and, you know, getting larger and larger. And everyone living in that region alignment, literally their alignments shift to neutral if they're there long enough. If they're there for about four years, they start to really feel the vibe. Um, and it's likely that this artifact is what makes the people who live there want to stay, want to rebuild Amalthea, want to live this these values. Um, and why they're like, I don't know why. I think it's probably this artifact that's messing with your head. <laughs> but they also don't seem to mind. Um, now, if, a, if, say, someone who's very, has other purpose, or who's very, um, very, has a minded of other ways, like, say, a paladin showed up, or a evil warlock showed up, um, and they were like, they, they just find Amalthea kind of yucky and want to leave quickly before it started to influence them, but they'd probably be aware of the influence because they have another counter influence that's just as heavy at least on them, because, you know, as a paladin, you've, you've got a sense of purpose. Or as a warlock to some uh, patron, you probably have a sense of purpose, you know. So if you're going in 
with a whatever classic cleric, whatever it is, you're going with a pre-existing sense of purpose. You're unlikely to be affected by this by Denev's heart or whatever it is that's affecting Amanthia. But the longer you stay, the longer you want to stay, and the longer you and the easier it is for you to be influenceless and sort of join the general populace. And amazing as that is, the populace, though, still hasn't gotten very much larger. It's still, at this point, maybe 150 is about 8,000 people, which overall is pretty small. Um, let's see. One other cool lore thing about the region around it, not specifically the town, but the mountains nearby, there is a group of druids who live nearby. Yeah, they are almost certainly influenced by the heart as well because they live in the mountains nearby um specifically druids of denev um and they heard these rare almalthian rams these i think they're goats Just rams i thought were sheep but they described them as goats in some of the lore so this one's a bit confusing to me but in any case they're uh there's a couple they're mentioned mostly in the old lore the order of the ram and uh, they protect these herd animals. Um, and many of them, after the animals die, they take their horns and make these fancy headdresses out of them, which are basically these magical headdress things, which give them all sorts of funky abilities. Um, and uh, let them do like charge attacks and things like that and headbutts. Um, but also, the uh, the animals themselves are magical, um, again possibly influenced by that heart maybe. Um, but the milk from these uh, the ewes, uh, so they say ewes, which makes me think of sheep, but they call them goats. So are girl goats ewes? I don't know. Um, anyway, their milk is magical, and they. Uh, use it uh, it's basically like a healing potion equivalent in terms of what it can do plus cure disease and cure like some other things so it's like a, a healing potion on steroids um and they're really really rare uh basically these these special little animals and these druids protect them and make sure no one else outside exploits them because everybody wants one because they're like magical healing animals and who heck doesn't want healing milk? I can't imagine that the cheese is like <laughs> what Elmalthian you cheese. <laughs> I don't know. Can I have pizza made from Elmalthian animals? Anyway, um, so that's another kind of fun little thing uh, in uh, in that region. Let's see, what did I skip? Um, the people themselves. There's a little bit of contradictory here. Uh, Pyramalthian blood is super rare. Um, even of the people who live there, and again, the population's so tiny, it's like 1% of the population of 8,000 people, you know, and that tiny percent in, as we talk about in Antanazu, are of Amalthian descent. So it's not considered one of the major ethnicities of humans in Gelsbad. You know, we talk about like big four ethnicities. This not even makes the map. Um, but they are described as, and I think we talked about the, what they look like last week. Um, dark skin, uh, straight dark hair, high cheekbones, strong jawline, straight nose, tall and muscular. Um, but very, very few pure or even half-bloods remain because they've 
pretty much interbred with Fashion people or other, or possibly with some of the Albanian people. Um, and they pretty much focus on all things Denev. Uh, Denev's big holidays throughout the year. Um, one neat one I thought was pretty cool, which gave me a little hint about something else. Um, they celebrate Denev's Day holiday every year. And prior to the Divine War, um, it happened at harvest season. But they're still tracking with the old uh, Amalthian calendar, which presumably they got from the university that they still use. They don't live in it, but they, they do research out of it. Um, and every year in the AV calendar, the holiday is two weeks later than the previous year. Which gives us a clue. This is one of the only clues I've found of how long the year was before the Divine War and the gods organized the calendar and made everything all smooth and shiny and 400 days long. Which implies that, assuming that two weeks, they still think a week is eight days on the new calendar, uh, using the new calendar week length, that the OC calendar would have been 416 days long. So that's interesting. I always use 365 just because of, you know, Earth simplicity, but maybe it was 416 days long. Eh? This, little, this little piece of jot of lore, little one little tiny, like, snippet in one paragraph in one book implying how long the calendar used to be. <laughs> this is the kind of deep shit you do when you're reading Scarlet's books. Um, and it so, but based on that, it would take about 25 years for the Denev's Day celebration to go around the whole calendar which sometimes it happens during the winter time or during the spring, even though it's supposed to be a harvest festival. That'll be confusing. <laughs> uh, and But this festival's a really big deal. They uh, go and dress in old Almalthy, and there's a picture of our, our lady in the big feathers is supposed to be wearing a Almalthian headdress that they found in these old libraries because they're still celebrating this ancient culture that none of them remember and that most of them aren't even descendants of. <laughs> um, so they would dress like this and all, and all of this business. Um, and I think that's neat. The population is not just humans though. A lot of uh, elves have moved in um, as well as a scattering of other races. Um, uh, the majority of the population are humans and elves. Uh, lots of druids. <laughs> There's no question of that. Um, and I think because of Den of Influence, things like crime is super rare, um, and just everybody kind of jams to the same vibe because of all of that. It's really no surprise. Um, and there's so, there's so much focus in all of this old, old culture that they're still trying to revive and this, all this old, uh, technology sort of science and whatnot not really science but you know what i mean um that they they will they go into the city they like will find books out of the library bring them in read them and put them back but but it's like everything stays in this place and so they've got this the old university but they've also built a museum in the old city um that they've just taken everything that they could get their hands on that survived the various battles and moved at them and tried to rebuild what they could, or at least like put it on pillars and plinths and things and labeled it and said, we think this is this. <laughs> and there's just like one of the buildings that was in the old city, they've turned into a museum. And tourists, like 
seriously, people from across Gelsbad actually go here and learn about it. And they will give, you can like request a tour of the old city. If you're like, say a sage or a bard or something from another country, and they'll take you through the city. They generally don't let you in the university. Cause again, that's like, we don't go there. Again, they don't really say why. I think that's probably where the heart is hidden. Just a hunch. Um, but they, they'll take people through the city. But it's very well guarded. So you have to get a tour guide. Because they've also set up traps around both the city itself to keep out, like, Ketan invaders and, and Titan Spawn or whoever is going to make trouble. Um, and they've set up illusions around the actual university. So good luck getting in. Um, so it's like basically take the tour guide with you and they'll be like, don't step there. It's a wire trap. Okay, we'll go this way <laughs> and keep it, keep you safe as they, as they take tours of the old city. But the old city is locked most of the day, most of the time, certainly at night. And there's 24 hour patrols, um, all the time where a good, uh, eighth of the town is, is trained to patrol the city and is and there's always guards there always on alert because of how interested the ketians are in getting in and presumably um to steal the heart and i uh, remember uh remember ilkatstra we talked about <laughs> a while a few episodes ago that uh the um oh so nasty autumn king story goes that he looks to seek, and this is a new lore, so one of his mentions in uh, the SLPG, that he seeks Denev's heart and plans to corrupt it, and then, the artifact, corrupt it, and then send it into the Ganges to corrupt Denev herself, so that she can, like, inhabit the spirit of Mormo and bring Mormo back. Um, I don't think that's the entirety of his plan. I suspect it would be more complicated than that, but they do simplify things in the new SLPG. But it does map his MO, certainly. Um, <laughs> it is very much an ill-custra thing to do something like that. But that could be why the cannibals um, attacked Amalthian to get Denim's heart, because presumably it was already there. Um, I guess, my guess is it showed up post-war. Um, was its placement there what freaked everybody out? What made people disappear? I don't know. It's a mystery. Would be a fun game, I think. Alright. Did I miss anything about Amalthia? That was a lot. <laughs> no, but I am going to throw in... Um, so thanks to Alan, who's watching, I did find... Uh, he linked that map. Ooh. So there's a map that was put up on the old swords and sorcery who used to publish guard lands uh, their website had a map and so that's up on the screen right now and essentially number four there is what was called the amalthian province during the Lydian yeah. empire oh yeah yeah yeah. and essentially it's on tanazu <laughs> like a lot of that yep. area that is it, it's a little larger than on is now but like both sides of the kelder that um the you know the canyon which wasn't there at the time? I think by the Nalidian Empire it might have been there. Okay. I was saying it wasn't there in the if 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 the empire that Amalthia was the capital of was pre-Ledian. Right. 
<laughs> yeah, so it's... Then Keeley wouldn't have been born yet, so we couldn't have made the canyon, or they couldn't have made the canyon. So, the canyon's on the map, but that's whether or not it's... Was it lazy on the on the map maker's side that they're just like, we're going to circle where it was, it doesn't matter. Well, they're just or using the Gale's map. Exist? Right. Yeah, they're using the modern Gale's bed map and just circling the areas of approximately where those empires would have... Where those provinces of the leading empire yeah. would have been. So definitely, yeah, I wouldn't seen... say it was ever... It, it's a good amount of land, but was it an empire in the way that well, the Asafi this is Empire when it, was an empire, or the Lydian Empire was an empire? Not so much. It didn't have well, its own was, empire that size. Well, this was when it was part of the Lydian Empire as a province, because it was one of the dozen or so, or nine, or however many provinces there were in the, in the Lydian Empire, and I kind of glossed over those very roughly when we did um, the Perforated Plains. Um, but yeah, it was one of the many, but the provinces that covered the bulk of Gelsbad, minus like the Ganges and um, the Yurkurden Desert and the swamps of Kantat, but the bulk of the rest of Gelsbad was part of the Ligian Empire. So this was one of the many provinces. So think of it as like a big state. Um, so I think that this would, that's this map is 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 describing where all those provinces were. I suspect the Almalthian Empire, given that it was supposed to be a capital of an empire, that would have been a pre-Leading Empire empire. That's why I was saying, I don't know what empire they're talking about. Right. It certainly wasn't the capital of the Leading Empire. Was it the capital of the Almalthian province of the Leading Empire? Well, yeah, that makes sense. Um, is that what they mean? I don't think so, because of the description. Are they saying that post Lydian, the fall of the Lydian Empire, when it went independent, maybe that's what they're talking about? <laughs> maybe. Um, that's certainly a possibility. It wouldn't be that ancient, but, you know, it'd still be several hundred years. Because um, uh, that would have, yeah, several hundred years in any case. Because um, the, in, the, in the final two... Um, dynasties of the leading empire, all of the other provinces pretty much declared independence, um, and Amalthea left around the same time that Vesh did. Um, and then Vesh was like, we're going to be a bunch of little kingdoms, and then we're going to unify as one big kingdom. And then Amalthea was like, we're just going to be here and be our little thing. So maybe that's what they mean. Maybe that's when it was, quote, an empire. It doesn't feel like an empire to me at that point, but I don't know. Also, Multiple authors wrote this book, so there you go. <laughs> As we know from experience how that business works. But yeah, I've, I think I've seen this map before. Alright, anything else about... Otherwise I'm going to move on. Continuing to the west. To the Ganges. Which is... Lore of the Ganges made me open, made me crack open the book of the Scarred Lands that is, to me, the most cursed book <laughs> of the Scarred Lands original... 40 some odd books because um, I had to I would have been remiss if I have done this section without delving into the history of the elves which meant cracking open um, the Forsworn and the Forsaken which I have like a bad experience with because <laughs> it's a very confusing book um, and I kind of re-dove into the madness that is that book <laughs> That I will that I will talk about in more detail in the future episode when we get to Termana. Um, but I wanted to at least address how long the elves have been in the Ganges and where they originated, um, because the 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 Ganges to me is 
um, if you if you ever read the Silmarillion, um, uh, and now I'm flaking on the name of Dor Doriath, I think it was what it was called, or something along those lines. The, this is hidden forest in uh, in the middle of the land where the, everything in the Silmarillion takes place, where a bunch of elves lived and and did magic and didn't let people in, and I think that influenced the writing of the way the Ganges worked. Um. The elven, the elves have been around forever. I mean, not forever, forever. They weren't around during the epoch of Chatham, but they've been around just about as long as any other people. The first Empire of Gelspad that really happened, which was the, which we talked about several episodes ago, which was the Asathi, um, talks about the elves. Um, the elves didn't control Gelspad, but it's clear that there were elves in the Ganges as oh, long ago as the Asathi Empire. Um, they had their own empire, their own lands that they called uh, Therathos. The Forsworn and the Forsaken goes back further than that, but the dates of that are fuzzy at best, <laughs> and um, it's very fall falls under mythology that there was all these elven dynasties before the Empire of the Rose, um, or Thera, Therathos. Um, what they say of Therathos is described as abutted the vast Asathi Empire to the north, which was called the Empire of the Lotus, and the minor, uh, between the Asathi Empire of the north and the minor states of Termana. Termana and the Asathi Empire were on different continents. Tramana is another continent. Sathi Empire was all in Gilspad. Sathi didn't really have any, had some trade with Tramana, but didn't have any, as far as I know, any colonies there. So between the two, and we know the Sathi Empire went all the way to the south shore of what is Gelspad today. So between the two was the elves. And I was like, between the two is ocean. <laughs> Lots of ocean. Not so much place. They weren't sea elves. They were elf land elves. 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 But they, uh, the old lore also stipulates that um, that uh, the Theris was sunk beneath the waters of the Cerulean and Blossoming Seas as a result of a war, a really horrible war with the Asathi um, called uh, the Ballad of Lotus and Rose Empire of the Lotus, Empire of the Rose um, talks about it in, in more detail apparently. It's a famous elven story. Um, and uh, we can go into more of this later when we talk about, again, talk about the High Elves of Termana when we advance someday if we ever get to Hermana. Um, but there was this horrible war between the two races. Um, it's triggered by uh, basically a battle over resources, um, and uh, and and the 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 elven patrons were like, "Don't do this!" And they were like, "We're gonna do it. We want to." And they they fought. And several of the elves elven groups were like, "We want nothing to do with this war." And one group. Um, had 
gone into these underground areas that were left behind by the Slaracians, uh, by the old Slaracian Empire, and, and inhabited that, and they became the Dardanelles. And another group um, lived in the Ganges, where it was just like the, the elves that had set up you know, community there. And we, they were like, we want nothing to do with your war with the Asathic. This is madness. This is just a really bad idea. This is going to destroy both civilizations. We want nothing to do with it. And so they basically bugged out. And they were like, we don't want to follow your weird stuff and your philosophies anymore. We want to be one with the land. We are going to follow Denev from now on. And they broke off with the Empire. And that's what kind of the start of the Ganges elves worshipping Denev solely. Um, uh, prior to that, the elves, um, their first patron was Mezos, uh, the Titan of Magic. And they're in the lore, in the, in the deep mythology of the, the creation of the elves, he's mentioned. Um, so if it, despite the Ganges elves being verdant followers of Denev, um, that implies to me that Mezos may have been the Titan that created the elves, but it's not clear. It's left vague, which is fine. Um, so they, they kind of had that, that splinter. But the elves were clearly in the Ganges from well before that splinter happened. They just, at that point, kind of were like, we're, we're doing our own thing now and we're not going to be part of the Empire anymore. Um, but the Ganges himself was named, I think, implied through a bit of research, was named after a dragon um, amongst the... Uh, the elves um, were also their, one of their other patrons, in addition to Mezos and um, the elven god. Um, they also had a close partnership with the dragons of old, and this is again early days of the earlier days of the elven empire, um, to the point where they uh, intermarried and and bred with dragons, uh, which was really cool. <laughs> um, and I want to get the name right. One of the dragons was named, uh, no, an, I know, uh, first dragon to marry an elf, or I should say first dragon prince, first dragon ruler, not necessarily the first dragon, but the first dragon ruler to marry an elven ruler was named Ganju, G-A-N-J-U. Um, so my theory is that the Ganges was named after him, <laughs> since it's just you know, sticking an S at the end. <laughs> so, um, but the this comes this lore comes from the Forsworn of Forsaken, which was second to last Guardlands book written back in the heyday of Guardlands books, and contradicts buckets of stuff from the earlier books, which is why I I find this book so challenging. So everything from this book, I take with a whole giant pillar of salt, not just a grain. Um, so, because uh, it was like massive whiplash of lore changes. Um, so, and not necessarily stuff that they've continued with in the new lore for the, the 5e slash Pathfinder books either. So, was the Ganges named after a dragon that married an elf? Maybe. We'll just leave it at that. <laughs> um, anyway. Enough for the ancient history of, of the elves. So they've lived in the Ganges a really long time. And that was that was 
the split was way before the Divine War, way before the Lydian Empire, way before the Empire of the Flame. Um, you know, right at the end of the old Asathi Empire, which was before the Ice Age. <laughs> so look at that. So consider that. Now, how did the Elves of the Ganges get through the Ice Age? I don't know. Doesn't say. But they were certainly there by the time the Ice Age was over. Um, and were there throughout like those other major empires. Um, and when the Lydian Empire spread across, as we just said, just showed the provinces, um, the Ganges, they were like, we want you to be in our empire. And the elves were like, no. <laughs> and then and they're like, no, 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 we do, we do. We'll send in armies. And the elves were like, yeah, no. <laughs> and they really couldn't get past. Like the elves would just not let them in. And it, it was not going to happen till finally one of the smarter empires just declared it the Ganges Protectorate of the Lydian Empire. Which was the way to saying, they're part of the Lydian Empire, but they're independent and they get to do their own rules and their own laws and their own government and their own trade routes and their own pretty much everything. But they're completely surrounded by the Lydian Empire and they'll have to deal with us if they want to do anything outside of it. And the elves were like, fine, whatever. <laughs> we won't argue with that. We don't care. It's your paperwork. We're still doing our own thing. And insofar as the Ganges and Veratribe was part of the Lydian Empire, they were a which really didn't mean much because they didn't really need the help of the Empire because the elves historically were always really badass. Um, and very, very, very independent for a very long time. Um, they, when finally the Divine War heated up, they really didn't want to get involved in the war. Um, and, and it wasn't until Denev, because the first few, few incidents of the Divine War, Denev wasn't involved because Denev wasn't involved when they took out Mezos and wasn't involved in the first, when they took the, down the first couple of other titans after Mezos. Um, and it, she, and while she was like, I'm not going to stand against you, she didn't start fighting with the gods until thing, until uh, they started going after the titans she really hated, Gorak and, and Mormo. And Churin, it wasn't, I think just Gorak and Mormo, um, the two she really got involved in. So the elves were like, what do we do? And She's like, guard the Ganges. Your job is fight any Titans that don't leave the gods alone. They won't bug you. Fight any Titans that come near the Ganges, protect it. And they're like, we can do that. <laughs> and they basically <laughs> held the Ganges, um, which got attacked time and time again by Titans and Titans spawn, mostly Titans spawn, throughout, throughout the, the years of the war. Um, and they did a really good job. The... I'd say magic slash technology of the Elves of the Ganges is certainly never up to the level of the Empire of the Rose. Um, they are, you know, they 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 didn't work with dragons anymore. They didn't have dragon blooded elves, at least not for it was by that point so thinned out. Um, if there was any, they they didn't have these high magics that the that the uh, Termanan elves are known for. But they're still incredibly badass and one thing that they discovered in the divine war is if you try to go into the ganges the trees will fight you <laughs> and they can literally create these rituals that cause the entire forest to rise up and kick your ass so the ganges elves are are a force to be reckoned with in the least and there's a reason why the kettens never broke the border i mean they get into the woods but they never get as far as veritrae um so that's kind of that.
bulky history. Uh, let's see. The uh, population of the Ganges is um, an old lore was 100% elves. In new lore, it's probably closer to 90% elves because they do allow, like, with the whole heritage thing, you know, you could be other presumably adopted races that got brought up in elven society, but being a non-elf would still be incredibly rare. So I, I imagine it's still 90-95% elven in the Ganges, at least in the heart of the forest. Um, there are other cultures that are kind of in the border areas, but certainly in Veritrae. Um, estimated between 100 and 200,000 elves in the region. Did we talk about incarnates much? I cannot recall if we talked about incarnates in previous episodes. But the idea is uh, when incarnates are a special kind of druid, or, well, a special kind of someone, um, prior to the gods, all spirits were reincarnated on Skarn. So died, and if you didn't end up like a ghost somewhere, you were reborn as another thing and lived another lifetime and just you know over and over again recycling of spirits and each lifetime you know you might be a squirrel one life and you might be a wolf and then you might be a bird and you might be an elf and you might be a dwarf and you might be a halfling and you know it just varies incarnates are a special kind of druid usually not don't didn't have to be a druid in the old lore but it helped you did pretty much have to be true neutral or some kind of neutral um and they remember or they eventually remember their past lives so and in and if you're of a druid type they can turn into those past lives and in the same way that in the way that druids do the wild shape thing where it's like i'm gonna go be a wolf and fight like a wolf or whatever um and you can turn into various beasts as a druid um both in the old and the current editions of DD. um incarnates when they turn into a beast they turn into a beast that their spirit used to be in a former life. So when you turn into a wolf as an incarnate, you're just not turning into a wolf. You're turning into a particular wolf that you have memories being. And every time you turn into a wolf, you're that wolf. Unless you were multiple wolves in your past lives, then you're one of those wolves. <laughs> um, because these all incarnates are also generally very old souls. And given that uh, people with souls have been on Skarn for simply millions of years, these souls could have lived hundreds and thousands of lifetimes. Um, do incarnates remember every single lifetime they lived? Probably not. I expect many were boring. But they kind of get that sense of the ones that were really important over time. Basically, as you go up in level, you remember more lifetimes, you can change into more things. Um, <laughs> so, and even the things you can't change into, you kind of have memories of what it was like to be them and, and you know, in the rule sets, it's like, you get more skill bonuses, but, you know, it, it varies. Um, but it's a, just a neat concept of, like, oh, you can you can remember all of this. The rulers of the elves in the Ganges are very particular. And not, not only are they incarnates, but they're one of four people always. <laughs> and it's like, it's like the Dalai Lama, except there's four of them instead of one. Um, and every time one dies, a search begins to find the, to find where they're going to get reincarnated. Um, and they were the original uh, four, what they called them, the four eldest beasts. 
you know, in the early days of presumably the Ixoc of Gormoth or Gulfane, one of those guys, the animals were first made. Um, these were like the first of these particular species of animals. The first hawk, the first wolf, the first stag, and the first bear. Um, reincarnated over and over again, and eventually those four spirits became the rulers of the elves of the Ganges. So um, every, and they have their, they have names too. And, and so the current ruler is, uh, is one of these, I can't remember which of the four he actually is, but, um, it, so it, it kind of goes back to that, which I think is, is really neat. It's like, ooh, <laughs> it's like, they remember, the only thing that concerns me, concerns me about that is, does that mean their culture is stagnant? Because if it's the same four people ruling, does it get kind of, you know, does elven culture advance at all? Because you don't have new blood, you don't have new ideas, because it's just the same four people over and over again. Um, so that's kind of interesting. Um, and, and with four, it gives like one, it gives them time to find the next one and for them to grow up, you know, and then when, when one dies, the next oldest one will, will take over and, and whatever. So, and they're not all four necessarily alive at any one point or present or even known where they are, but they all are always elves, presumably. Although maybe some of the in-betweens, they get to be something else for a little while and then have to become an elf again to, I don't know how it works. They don't say, but that's a neat thing. Um, let's see. Um, the capital of Ver the capital is called Veratre, which is it's described as a city, and in terms of population, it's a city. But in terms of any kind of recognizable urban metropolis, it wouldn't look it. Um, certainly fits more of the Tolkien Lothlorien slash wood elves and and whatnot ideas of a city. Although I think again, much more like. Kind of the st some of the stuff in the Silmarillion vibe. Um, houses made from trees and completely blending in the environment um, where, you know, windows or shutters or roots and and things like that. And, and they, you know, you build a room out of a, out of a, a burl and a side of a tree that you kind of build a room into and all of those things. Um, so you you wouldn't realize you were in the city when you were in the city if you weren't like really one with nature and a druid going hey there's people living up in that tree or in that hedge or whatever um and not that they were trying to, they're necessarily trying to be camouflaged in veritre just they're so close to nature that that's how they live um uh plenty of so basically just a greater population there most Elves in the Ganges aren't. Um, they're most of them are either druids or rangers or of that kind of class. Lots of bards, um, but you're not going to find, you know, metal-clad, you know, fighters with, you know, catapults or whatever. They're they're not, you know, going to be like that. They're very, you know, we wear green and <laughs> use wood things and natural things a lot. And all of that kind of, just like you expect, you know, give your cliche elves, that's the wood elves of the Ganges. And they're differentiated as wood elves versus, um, 
uh, high, el the high elves in Termana, although in the, in our lore we generally call them the Ganges elves versus the Termana elves versus the Daredrendal. But you know, that that whole traditional sense there. Again, I blame Tolkien for like ninety percent of this shit. <laughs> okay, uh, let's see. It's not the capital. the The verdant seat is where the leader. Um, does his thing, which is this massive father tree kind of thing in the middle of the city. And that's where he or she rules from. Um, and then there's a bunch of druidic groves throughout the city where various religious ceremonies to Denev take place. Um, uh, incarnates will meditate in one of these groves to discover their previous incarnations. Or... Um, Spellcasters would go there to summon their familiars or animal companions or whatnot, or commune with the spirits of the forest in these sacred groves, and druids would do their their thing. Um, so there's a bunch of these kind of groves that are specific to specific purposes. Um, kind of real details of Veritray. Uh, let's see. Um, anybody who tries to go into the Ganges, who isn't formally invited, is going to have a challenge. Um, as the elves are pretty much guard all of the borders. Um, and while some groups of people, particularly in the new lore, have kind of moved slightly into the forest and, and do a little bit of hunting along the borders, if you try to get into the, kind of the heart of the woods, um, you'll wander in find yourself waking up outside the borders having been knocked unconscious by a bunch of elves and just physically moved <laughs> and if you keep trying it you'll find yourself waking up somewhere across the continent with your memories erased not really knowing what happened to you <laughs> they don't kill intruders unless they're obvious threats and or monsters or whatever or cannibals but um they do kind of very encourage you not to come in if you're not invited um, and that has been the case for ever, up until um, AV80. Um, and that's because the elves of Eritrea did a kind of major unheard of event uh, called the, I'm going to get it right, the Convention of Eritrea. And there's lots of mention of this in various lore books. Um, quotes from it, um, treaties were made. Um, basically, the elves invited representatives from across mostly northeast Gelsbad. Um, although, uh, well, not just our eastern Gelsbad, I should say, because the Calastians were invited. Um, Inkila was invited, who hadn't been conquered by Calastia yet. Um, Vesh, Albadia, uh, various other um, Almalthia representatives there um, and, and various other I'm just looking at the map to remind myself everybody who was invited but um, all came for this big basically convention slash conference where they were like okay we're gonna talk about how things are happening so this was about 80 years after the Divine War was over and um, they're like, we're gonna create a treaty, a pact. You know, one person gets attacked, we go help them. We want trade agreements across these places. 
um, we want to. We, they're not going to fully open their borders, but they want to make things easier. So if Veshan Vigils want to cross the Ganges to go and do something over in the Haggard Hills or, or over in, over in uh, Darakeen, um, they get to the border and they ask for an escort and the elves will take them across the Ganges. We'll escort them. So you're not given free reign. Like, you can't just wander around the forest, but we will bring you through. So no longer wait for the invite, come knock on our door, kind of a thing. And everybody's like, whoa, this has never happened. And all these people who had never seen much of the El much of the Ganges, because nobody was allowed in, suddenly were invited to the capital of Veritrae. And all these um, ambassadors were suddenly invited to the capital, having never seen it before. And it was just like mind-blowing of this event. And I think Yugman was there. <laughs> um, like, it was a big deal. Interestingly, the people who were not invited or who didn't come, maybe he got like nobody came from Darakeen. And nobody nobody was invited from any of the quote Titan spawn civilizations. Um uh, there may have been orcs, it's not clear, but there certainly wasn't Slytherin, tell you that. Um there wasn't any Asathi. Um New Lore, Old Lore was there. Manticora, I think the new lore implies that the Manticora were invited, but obviously the Manticora civilization didn't even exist in the old lore, so that wasn't, you know, mentioned in the old lore, obviously, because the old lore Manticora is just a weird tiny group of people that were kind of horrible that no one dealt with. They weren't like a playable, redeemed, not redeemed race, um, so they're fuzzy. Um, and nothing, nobody, like, none of the sea-dwelling races or anything like that. But, uh, and, and a lot of the uh, redeemed races were very snubbed by not getting invited. Like, how could you didn't invite the Asathi? <laughs> like, what's wrong with us? Well, you did kind of worship Mormo, who's been our enemy now forever, and most of you still do, and we are not cool with that. So no, you're not invited to our conference. Ditto for the Slytherin. No. Not invited to our conference. We're redeemed! What's a redeemed? We've never heard of you. They made the excuse. They didn't know what a redeemed was in the new lore. That's what it says in any case. And everybody's like, wow, this is a big deal. And then, not a couple, not a handful of years later, suddenly the Ganges is attacked by a bunch of cannibals from Ket. <laughs> and they call in all the allies. They just made it this conference just a couple years ago. And was that foretold? Did the elves have a vision of being attacked? by the cannibals, and is that why they made this conference? Because they knew they were screwed if they didn't have allies? Coincidence? Or fate? But the result of it is the alliance still stands. So, um, it's kind of, thank you for helping us defend against the Kettens and the Druid War. Yes, we will help you if you need to fight the Calastians or who, who, who whatnot, um, if something else comes up your way. Um, so, that's a cool thing. And you find, like I said, there's references to the Conference of Eritrea throughout many of the books. They're like, this is when everybody kind of met and talked and did things. <laughs> okay. Um, they also introduced this concept called the Ganges Concords, um, which was a legal system um, that they basically shared with various other groups of, you know, this is how we do legal things in a true neutral society. Um, and these legal concords carried over 
um, into other cultures. Um, Almalthia in particular adopted uh, the Ganges Concords as their own uh, base legal system, as well as various other um, kind of druid-like cultures uh, throughout the region who were pretty, like the Elves of the Broadreach Horizon um, and uh, various groups there. Um, the basic tenets of that, um, they are generally tolerant of any and all behavior, even dishonesty, as long as it does no wasteful harm to living things. So hunting is okay, but hunting for sport is not okay. You're hunting for food. Um, you have to use as much as you can of the things you hunt. Um, same, you, you don't destroy trees to plant farmland um, because that's wasteful. You build farmlands in existing areas where farms would fit. Um, so uh, things like that. And you find this, these, this belief system uh, in Albadia, Amalthia, Antanazu, and in a few uh, it's various halfling, rural halfling areas and a few pockets in Vesh um, followed this kind of philosophy in terms of their legal system. So I think that's kind of a neat thing. Um, and the elves also had their own calendar. Uh, the details of which, uh, in terms of dates and stuff, um, again, hinted at in the Forsworn and Forsaken book, but not so much in the other books. Um, but each, it was broken up into cycles. Each cycle in the Ganges elves, not necessarily the rest of the elves, but certainly the Ganges elves, was named after a, um, a treant. That's one of those big, you know, gray beard like walking trees. Um, and each cycle is broken down to 100 years, or each cycle is 100 years long, um, um, named after a specific treant who did something cool. So it'd be like the cycle of, you know, name your giant walking tree. Um, the cycle completely fell apart during the Divine War because years get kind of fuzzy um, during that era. Um, so they basically started from scratch in AV1 because they're like, well, it was kind of the 87th day of the cycle or 87th year of the cycle, but we're not sure it might've been the 89th or the day. We don't know. We're just going to start over. <laughs> so we're going, AV1 is going to be year one, year one of this next 100, 100 year cycle. Um, first one post-war was named after one of the treants who led the defense of Denev against the forces of Mormo in battle. Um, and the current uh, cycle is named after the treant mentor of the current ruler of the elves in the Ganges. So, and I'm not going to say their names because they're long and unpronounceable. <laughs> they're really long. <laughs> like, how do you, trees have lots of consonants? Um, yeah. Okay. What am I missing? You've been so quiet, Jeremy. <laughs> Just hearing my own voice. Uh. Sorry, I've actually muted all my mics, so no one had to listen to me sniffle and cough. So. I didn't see you uh, cough at one point. Yeah. Um, um. The only other thing that I have is the Jordae, which is the. Oh like, yeah, yeah, it's really important. But I don't know if we want to do that during a, like a secret society. They're not really secret, but they're not really like well known either. So. Um, 
why don't we why don't we do that during a secret society yeah. episode? Just to just to sum up, since you mentioned them, they're a specific class. They're a group of druids who guard things <laughs> for the games, well, it, and they're it's like they're called yeah. uh, Oak Brothers or something. Hang on, um, yeah, Oak Brothers, but they're like druids and rangers. Essentially, in third edition, it was a prestige class, and you could go in and like still a prestige class in fifth edition. Or oh, uh, did, did they not a prestige class? A, not a prestige class. A uh, uh, what do you call it? A archetype. Archetype. Gotcha. Yeah, subclass. Subclass. You can. Yeah. You can so play they, uh, a... It was a group that um, acts as like uh, guardians. Guardians of the forest, but also um, oh, I can't think of the word. Like, uh, hang on, I'll look it up. <laughs> uh, um. They... They were, um... They see to like the spiritual counselors. well-being of the forest. Right. They were like counselors for the, uh... The, the king. The coven... The, the coven... 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 I can't pronounce that word. The people who rule in, um... Or, you know, like, the council in Veritre. Yeah. The, uh, the Verdant Seat and his council. Or right, council. Verdant Seat. Yeah. Um, yeah, they. What's neat uh, in 5th edition, uh, I will mention this because I've seen a couple of folks play uh, Jordae now, I've rolled a few up, and um, they in 5th edition, uh, really cool when you're a low level druid, you get to have a, an awakened tree animal companion if you're playing uh, Jordae, which you get at like second level. Um, so you can have this tree walking around, like basically this Christmas tree. Um, it's about the size of a Christmas tree, just yeah. walking around. And, and when you're level two, level three, it is really handy to yeah. have this giant tree beating the shit out of things for you because it gets two attacks. Not as big of a deal once you're, you know, tier two, tier three, but tier one, ha, huh, really nice to yeah. have as a companion. But I'd like to see bit more badass a, than a badger. I'd like to see someone do a, um, a, a ranger archetype because it's so it's a it's a druid circle for fifth edition i'd like to see because in third edition it was open to other classes i'd like to see versions of it for other classes um, the jordan yeah. minimum yeah. rangers especially because yeah. ranger you know i i play rangers in fifth edition and i'm i'm okay with them but they really could use some help so <laughs> doing, got, a, although, doing a version yeah. for the rangers would be cool yeah yeah the rangers are yeah sad. honestly they're sad honestly the only race that the only the only class to me that's terribly broken and badass in 5e is the rogue <laughs> i think i think every class could use a little help. rogues and wizards are right. are scary um but the rest of them i i i i, I do things for everybody except yeah rogues and wizards are good i think i don't think they need much more help okay um and there, there's some other small random groups in the area but that's i don't know we could go into more but this is not that much of a deep dive because yeah. I've got two other at least two other areas to cover. Um, uh, cutting south from the Ganges, immediately south is the Haggard Hills. Also, not just to the south, but to the south and to the west. Um, the Haggard Hills borders this whole region around the Ganges. So this this thing between the Ganges and the Stricken Forest is also the Haggard Hills. Basically, anywhere in here you see these bumpies. Um, it's the Haggard Hills. And they serve as a wonderful natural border between the Ganges and all the Yucklands. <laughs> the Bloodsteps, the Hornsaw, the Stricken Forest. What we call the Yucklands. Horrible places. All the beasties and monsters in those places. The 
the Haggard Hills serves as a very nice border between them um, and, and and those who patrol it. Uh, the history of this region, um, get into in a bit, uh, comes from the used to be called the Pyrian Hills. R-A-N? Pyran? 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 We'll go with Pyran. Pyran Hills. Um, which uh, both uh, covered both uh, the Haggard Hills and the Blood Steps, and kind of between those two regions, or in those two regions, were the Pyran Hills, which is where the Halflings had uh, major, massive communities prior to the Divine War. Most Halflings who weren't kind of scattered around various other communities, and you can find Halflings just about everywhere in Skarn, like every continent has Halflings. Um, uh, even the Dragonlands has Halflings, <laughs> like every continent has Halflings. Um, but this was one of those areas with, that it was a Halfling-dominated, you know, Halfling-majority population. Um, and very few of those exist today. Um, but the Halflings were driven out during the Divine War because of a couple things that happened. Um, some bad stuff happened in the Blood Steps, and we'll get to that in a bit. But first, some really bad stuff happened in the Haggard Hills. Some debate as to exactly which thing it was. But I've done a little bit of research and kind of, I think I've sussed it. Um, so first thing that happened was um, also in the Perrin Hills, there was a place called Valmatia. Valma Valma V-A-L-M-A-T-I-A-N. And there's multiple ways this is spelled in the lore too, which drives me nuts. Um, but Valmatian, or Valmatia, um, city of Valmatia in the Pyrian Hills. There's, it's referenced in a couple of obscure rando locations. Um, apparently a big wizard area, despite all the other freaking wizard areas throughout Gelspad, this was yet another one. Um, I also debate where exactly, because, um, Alan and I actually debated this, is like, is it in Gels, is it even in Gelspad? But I'm... In retrospect, pretty sure it was in Gilsbad, um, as much as we wanted it to be in Asherak. Um, <laughs> because it is part of the Pyrian Hills, and I think I have an explanation of what the problem is. Um, when the gods were preparing to go fight the war, um, they knew they were going to have to take out Mezos. They had this planned. And Madriel, um, the city of Valmatia was dedicated to Madriel, and she came to them and said, I need you to make a thing to fight Mezos and do some research and figure it out. And they built this, or created, I should say, not really built, created this spell called a Mana Spear. You can look it up in, in the, the lore, but basically it, it screws up arcane magic. Um, and there's a reference to this in the Galesped campaign setting book of the witness was an incarnate who at the time was a wizard familiar. We learned, we learned everything that ever happened in the history of Skarn based on what the incarnates remember. Memory is fallible. Um, said, said familiar, um, said my master was working on this spell for Madriel. And when the gods attacked Mezos, they brought us there to the battle place. The incarnate assumed the battle place was near where they were coming from in Valmatia. 
my my proposal is why would it have to have been anywhere near where they were coming from because a lot of the other theories everything supports the idea that they t that that attack of mezos was in ashrak my thought is why didn't mandriel just go pop and got all these guys with the manospheres and immediately teleported them to ashrak and went okay throw your weapons at mezos as we we're taking him down because the other thing that happened is not a single one of these wizards survived the battle. Um, and while the, all of the victor gods survived the battle, all of the mortals they brought in to fight it. And this is the only reference that they even brought mortals in to fight it, is the existence of this spell and the word of one incarnate <laughs> who remembered being there as a familiar. <laughs> um, the only two references that mortals were even at the battle. Um, my thought is she probably just bamfed them to Asherak. They threw their manospheres and then pretty much died in the explosion or whatever, or, or just in the fight or Mezos killed them or whatever. Because um, none of them survived. So that's my that's my reasoning. And, it, and it's a little headcanon of me, but also there is zero other evidence to indicate that Mezos was killed in Gelsbad. Never mind the, the Haggard Hills. Um, just a lot of like, was he? What, where did he die? <laughs> Um, rumor, um, um, because it, it certainly wasn't what wrecked the Haggard Hills. Um, that all comes down to one guy who is the source of so much crap. <laughs> like, after, in addition to, you know, pissing on a bunch of Hollow Knight corpses and um, abandoning the Manticora <laughs> and just being a dick all over, he also decided to destroy everything alive in these hills with one sweep of his sword or axe um uh Vangel just annihilated everything living in this region down to the bacteria level and i am not exaggerating because they actually talk about this <laughs> the fact that there is nothing alive or was nothing alive in these hills after he struck like destroyed everything um and the whole 100 of the blame is placed on Vangel there the halflings who were basically the only reasons any of the halflings who lived in that region survived is because they had already evacuated because by that point there had been it was this was fairly late in the war and there had been a bunch of battles in that region they wanted to go home but they were like our home is gone it is not inhabitable anymore and that's why many of the halflings migrated to um what eventually became the uh heteronomy of reduck um right down here so then they lived up here this region um and uh, yeah, and Valmatia presumably fell as well. Although it's not really talked about other than this. It's like, you think the ruins of Valmatia would be somewhere in the Hagernails or Bloodsteps and yet it's never mentioned again. So what is up with that? I don't know. Um, it's one of those like, all of these things happening in this region and yet it's never mentioned again. So it's kind of the basics of what happened in the Haggard Hills. Um, so again, though, this was 160 something years ago when Vangel did this. Since then, um, the elves at the Ganges in particular, um, as well as uh, some influence from Vesh and some other regions were like, we've got to make this, this is a huge region. It was, it, there's not a lot of places where people live. <laughs> How can we can we reclaim it? And as we're healing, and all that those people who it's like mission is to reclaim Galspad, reclaim the earth, 
with Denev sleeping and healing everything. Oh, I forgot to talk about the healing circle. Shoot. Um, or not the healing circle. I forgot to talk about Denev's other heart and the Ganges, but I knew I'd forgot something, but that's okay. Um, center of the Ganges is where Denev sleeps. And there's this place called the other thing that's called Denev's heart in the Ganges is where she, her actual resting place is. Um, and they, uh, it's actually a location toward the end of the Serpent and Forest cycle that they go there and try to fuck with her. But, um, sorry about that. <laughs> Off the rails. <laughs> you look so, like, like, out of it, Jeremy. <laughs> so, anyway, the, the, the druids of the Ganges were like, we want to rebuild, we want to reclaim the land. So, they went to the to the edge of the Haggard Hills that borders the Ganges, and they went out there and cast this ceremony. Um, and I want to get the exact year on this. It wasn't too long after the war. Um, they cast the first ceremony of, of uh, oh, I forgot what the name of the ceremony was called. My notes are kind of all sta staggered here. The something of the land. Uh, the restore the land ritual. There it is. I knew I'd find it. Um, they they went out to the to this valley right on right on the edge of the Ganges and cast this massive ritual called restore the land, um, which basically seeded life back into the soil and back into the land. So prior to this ritual, there was just almost nothing alive like i said a bacterial level of dead on the borders things were slowly starting to eke in but it was hard for anything to set root there because they're just the soil was just like not um there was no nutrients in it you know it would rain and the water would just flood because there was no plant life um there's like ruins of towns and it's also lots of not to the extent of some of the other areas where there's undead but lots of undead because like this huge thing killed everything and then a bunch of people roses undead so a good chunk of undead in the area um some scavengers for the first few years living off of the bones of what died but not even bacteria which means nobody rotted so you'd find these bodies of the people who of the creatures and people and trees and whatnot died and they're not decaying because there's nothing to feed on it so so just bleh. So anyway, druids do this this thing, and they start this re they start creating this region that they call the healing circle. Um, and over the the decades since that ritual, um, that region is now a nine mile radius, um, so eighteen mile diameter valley, verdant valley, and one of the again one of the nicest places in Gelsbad, like. I'm kind of covering a lot of the nicest places in Galesbed as the Ganges was one of the nicest places and Amalfia is one of the nicest places and the Healing Circle is one of the all kind of the same region in the middle right in the middle. Um so and um the elves have been living there for, for quite some time now. The population is like 100% den of worshippers, um nearly 100% elves. Um we we play with it a little bit in Vigilant. They actually go there on like a and one of the plot points takes them to this little valley. And in it, there's a town called Hope, where incarnates and druids live. And that's kind of, it's sort of the southern end of the valley. And 
they uh, just kind of protect this little area and they're starting to farm there. It's very new. They're, they're just barely self-sustaining by AV150. Um, just, uh, just barely, immigration is like almost non-existent because they're just barely self-sustaining. They can't afford more people coming in because the arable area is so tiny. Uh, as for the rest of the Haggard Hills, better than it was because it's been 150 years, but not that much better. Um, in the new lore, they talk about um, small little towns with uh, Manticora and a few other species have kind of grown up. Lots of um, uh, uh, brigands, criminal types, use like have hideouts and caves in the hills and various places sheltered and valleys and things and through that the hills because no one goes there so good place to have your smuggling cave or whatnot so not a particularly safe region but on the plus side it's also not crawling with monsters because there's nothing for the monsters to live on either so um unless you're right at the southern border if you keep heading south out of the haggard hills you enter the really bad lands and dead south is the Blood Steps, which is arguably the worst, most dangerous place in all of Gelsbad. Um, and just, just truly, truly nasty. Um, the um, named for the bloody battles that took place there, um, not really steps, presumably used to be steps, just, you know, in, a, in you know, conjunction with the hills. Um, not really anymore, <laughs> as the description of it, of this region is just absolutely nuts. Um, steep rolling hills, weird rock formations, sharp crevices, chasms, geysers, sinkholes, and strange plant life. The chasms and crevices make mounted travel nearly impossible. That doesn't sound like steps. At all. <laughs> Our argument when writing Vigilant was, which I love Fran's explanation for the blood steps, is it used to be steps, and but anyone who went out there to go check to see if it was still steps after the war didn't survive. So they just said that region we're calling the blood steps. We call they just give the name blood moniker to everything that was a major battlefield in the war, blood basin, blood sea, um, and. It used to be steps. We don't know what it is now because nobody goes out there to find out. <laughs> and that's the goddamn of the blood steps. But um, as we also described, uh, it looks like some giant colossal being took a pitchfork into the land and just sort of stirred. <laughs> it's just so random and crazy. Um, so, I don't know. But it is truly dangerous. Yes, there is life out there. Lots of life out there. And not as verdant as some of the other places, like the Blood Rain Woods um, or the Hornsaw Forest, but um, lots of of things, mostly monsters. Um, uh, most biggest population uh, humans, primarily nasty ones who can survive it. Bat devils slash Pitterin, Manticora, Slytherin, um, and various. Uh, giant races, various humanoid races, and rack dragons. 
this is one place on Skarn you're guaranteed to find a rack dragon. If you want to have a dragon fight, go to the Blood Steps. There are several of them living there. <laughs> um, the most prominent language in the Blood Steps is Titan speech. <laughs> so, population completely unknown in terms of numbers. Um, but uh, all sorts of things. Primary religions are Kadam, Gormoth, Thulkos, Vangel, and Velsimith. <laughs> um, uh, two titans were defeated in this region. Thulkos, uh, which this is where uh, Corian uh, took down Thulkos and beat him up and turned him into an arrow, which... I don't know if it was he or Hatanel shot into the sun. Um, and during that battle, Thulkos sort of like bled molten metal on the land, <laughs> um, which which seeded it with with um, rare metals and gold and iron and stuff. Um, so mining, everybody wants to mine in the Blood Steps. If it wasn't so flippin' dangerous. Um, so lots of gold deposits throughout the region, but uh, very, very hard to get. Um, Verduck, in fact, has sent multiple times, has sent expeditions out there, most of which don't return, um, <laughs> to try to mine it. Uh, I think the dwarves, some, uh, we, we had dwarves try to mine it in Vigilant because um, it made sense. And of course, they, you know, it's not necessarily a happy ending for them either. Um, very dangerous area. Uh, so Gorm, uh, so Thulkos was defeated there. Um, there's rumor, once again, that this is where Gormoth the Writhing Lord is interred. Talked about him possibly being interred in the Titansome Mountains. There's also rumors of him being interred in the Blood Steps. Where's Gormoth? No one knows. <laughs> there is, again, no giant chasm in the, there's small chasms in the Blood Steps, but no giant chasm in the Blood Steps that I think would be big enough to hold a Titan of that scale. So I don't think he's in the Blood Steps either, but I talked about my own theory about where Gormoth is. Um, I said two Titans were defeated there. I'm not sure which the other Titan was that was defeated there. Um, maybe it was Gormoth. Uh, maybe it was Hrnrook's body. Although I thought Hrnrook's body was like somewhere else. Um, so, uh, but they did talk about saying two. But anyway, there was a lot, in addition to that, there was also just a lot of battles that this was a very central area for armies to rampage through to get from one end of Gelsbad to the other because nobody could go through the Ganges. So lots of battles took place in this region. Um, lots of magic, lots of titans, blood and titans spawn, and it is certainly considered sacred ground to um, various titans in the region um also kind of close to where uh Galthaga made his end in the southern keldar so and a lot of giants live in this region um so Kadim, a lot of followers of Kadim here too so he made the giants so or some of the giants so it's it's all crazy um horsemen of vangle run through this region too um one of the many regions the horsemen of vangle kind of love populating um, so a lot of Vangle followers here. Uh, geographically, um, there's some interesting, particularly interesting locations. There's these things called fangs, um, which not Gorak's teeth, 
as much as you think they would be, but just weird, um, or maybe they are Gorok's teeth, but there's these sharp spires of rock. Um, they're, followers of Gorok don't, don't flock to them, which makes me think they're not Gorok's teeth, but um, they are some remnants of the war. Maybe it was like a spell that was like went nuts. Um, they're not massively big. The biggest one is uh, only uh, a few hundred feet tall. I think the largest is maybe five or seven hundred feet tall. Um, and most are more like 150, 200 feet tall. So they're big. Mountain big. Not colossal big. Um, and in one, uh, they're in Blood Fang which is in the northwestern part of the Blood Steps, um, there is a clan of Bat Devils, aka Pitterin. Pitterin's the redeemed name of the Bat Devils. Um, we talked, I think we, did we talk about the Bat Devils before? Yeah, we did, because the bat, there was Bat Devils on one of the islands um, off the west coast. Um, so a bunch of Bat Devils live there, and they moved in because there had already been a several um, uh, groups of uh, dire bats living um, in this fang, which is why it was called the Blood Fang, because they were like vampire dire bats. I didn't know there were dire bats. <laughs> I'm assuming there's some monster manual somewhere. Um, so anyway, this this thing had all these bats, so the bat devils were like, hey, we get along with bats, let's live there, and they moved in. Um, so that's where kind of they have their thing. They're kind of weaker than most of the other weird monsters the region so they have a tough time of it <laughs> um uh so they're there um moving uh east of there is north fang so blood fang is kind of in the northwestern corner kind of the northeastern corner is north fang uh that's about 150 feet high under which there's a bunch of caves um where one of the fire drag fire rack dragons lives fire rack dragons can't fly, unlike most other dragons, but they're still really dangerous and nothing to be nothing to be um, uh, trifled with. This particular fire rack dragon, who goes by the, do we have his name? Uh, da, 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 da. Um, I do not have his name. Okay, um, he has allied with a one of those sad forsaken dwarves from Kragadam that we talked about. Um, who left, um, but is still kind of nuts, and he basically allied with his fire rack dragon and has built for the dragon a classic dungeon underneath this mountain full of traps and constructs and beasties. Um, so you want a classic dungeon with a dragon at the end of it? Northfang, blood steps, there you go. <laughs> um, I'm sure there's a giant horde uh, at the at the end of that. Um, and then South Fang, which is southern end of Bloodsteps, um, not far from the northern border of New Veneer, um, there is another fire rack dragon. This one is allied with Slytherin, uh, which weren't specified in the lore, but we canonized as brown gorger uh, worshippers of Gorak. Uh, in that region because it was just fun to make them Gorak followers, honestly. <laughs> so in my lore, and in new lore, they're they're Brown Gorger Slytherin. Um, well, lore didn't specify, but in any case, they're Slytherin who basically 
I don't necessarily work for the Rack Dragon, but are allied with it and work together in concert as they'll sort of drive food into his area and, and he'll let them eat the pickings, um, which is why I thought Grand Gorgers made sense. Um, in other funky places of note, there's this uh, chasm in the southeast uh, region, rather close to the Hornstaff Forest, called the Cleft of Madness. That's, if that doesn't sound kind of Lovecraftian to me, uh, it certainly does. Um, uh, where it's basically a big chasm like you do. Is this where Gormoth is? Well, there's these ancient oak trees grown across the chasm, creating kind of a funky bridge, which is how um, the Mormites use that frequently to get in and out of the blood, and out of the horn saw into the blood steps and vice versa. But uh, what's creepy about it is this wind goes runs through the area just because of the you know the way it's structured and makes these eerie wails like insane screams, and then echoes to like these answering screams from the bottom of the chasm. Which is it an echo, or is something down there just screaming back at the wind? Yeah, that's that's kind of kind of creepy um and uh i believe that region also has uh various uh followers called uh the twisted um which are uh spider egg goblins and other titan spawn cultists including annette and who wander around the blood steps looking for gormont's body um and who have been found in that region looking for his corpse and not having found it. Oh, is it. Is it a corpse? Technically he's still alive, even though he's like split in two and so he's split in two and each half is encased on either end of a cat on either side of a chasm. So and unable to remerge. So he's technically still alive and just fucked up and it sounds truly, truly horrible. Anyway, so could he be in the cleft of madness? I would think the Twisted would have found him if he was. Um, another area, there's, as I mentioned briefly, there's these geysers. Like, you know, think um, Yellowstone, I guess. I don't know. Um, and there is one old faithful type geyser in the Blood Steps called Thulkas's Ghost. Not literally Thulkas's Ghost. We know for sure he's on the sun. But um, they named it after him. Um, and and it's in the middle of a three-mile-wide region of geysers. Um, and that particular geyser, that ghost, erupts regularly every day exactly noon when the sun is reached its zenith over the, over the steps. I think it's called Thulkas's ghost because Thulkas from the sun is influencing its eruption. Because why not? <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, uh, and there's and there's various hordes and clans and tribes rampaging all throughout this step land, um, fighting with each other and just causing all sorts of problems for anybody who actually tries to go through this region. Um, uh, there's several tribes of giants, um, uh, the Broken Skull, who are Kadam worshippers the flayed meat 
who are also Catam worshippers, who tend to fight with the Broken Skull because they do. Um, the giant bloody hand. <laughs> I love the names of these tribes. It's just totally horrible. These are giants who worship Vangel, um, and they actually have a fortress in the steppes. I don't know how they managed to build one, but they did. Giants, I guess, you know, build things, and there you go. Um, there's some barbarian hordes. Uh, there's the Demon's Wrath Clan, a horde of human barbarians that run rampant across the steppes, all followers of Vangel, and just love kind of causing trouble. Um, uh, the Death Spirit Tribe, who are Belsamites, led by a werejackal called the Eater of Souls. Love these horrible monsters. Um, and let's see. And there's a group of red witches called the Red Moons. Um, uh, red witches, uh, those are, that's a, a brood of Slytherin, of the rat folk. Um, she leads a cult of 13 red witches, more, more like a coven. Um, uh, they live kind of near the Hornsaw, and one of their big things is they've got sort of a horrible magic shop that various uh, groups from the Hornsaw and Glividatel come to when they need um, uh, magical tinctures and whatnot, and sacrificial victims for their horrible ceremonies as this coven of red witches would go and just kidnap people in the region and then give them to necromancers and other and hags and whatnot living in the horn going, oh you need you need some sacrifice people here's some we found this village of people for you here you go um so there's that huh <laughs> so yeah so you're thinking okay we're gonna just gonna go on the blood steps and we're gonna go mine some of that gold but full cost blood here good luck guys because you're gonna run into Name the monster. And these are just some of the biggies. So, you know, it's also just run rampant with uh, uh, everything from dire rats and dire weasels to hill howlers and various worm spawn things and, you know, rack, smaller rack dragons, less powerful rack dragons, and um, just horrible everythings <laughs> through that region but um definitely verdant the line that i love is how do you know when you've left the haggard hills and enter the blood steps it's when you turn around and run screaming fleeing your way back to the ganges <laughs> because holy shit <laughs> it is bad um, and we and yeah, we do do some. We do go into some more details um, in Vigilant as uh, the characters make their way through the Haggard Hills and the Blood Steps. So, in uh, in Vigilant, and and come across some of these more horrific areas. <laughs> um, oh, anyway, ah, uh, there's probably more, but we're we're we've been at this for a while, and my I'm getting tired talking. So, <laughs> is there anything I missed, Jeremy? <laughs> Pardon me while I unmute everything. Um, yeah. No, I think I think we've covered or you've covered a lot of the stuff that we need to 
do today. Yeah. Uh, One thing you won't you won't find is redeemed Titan spawn in that region. At least not very much, unless they're fair. trying to proselytize and then they'd probably just get killed. Right. So you might find them there short, like for a little while, until they're eaten by someone else. Yeah. Yeah. But, Why uh, don't you give us your your outro info? Yeah, as I mentioned a couple times. I done wrote this book, Vigilant, through Shadows and Dreams, book one, um, in which our hero does, in fact, it's big spoilers because the second half of the book, uh, does get to explore some of the Haggard Hills and the Blood Steps after tromping around through the morning marshes, because that's what vigilants do. Um, and maybe next week, we'll talk more about Vesh and what the hell is a vigilant, because I've only been talking about vigilants for nearly a year on this show <laughs> and not having talked about Vesh yet. So we should probably do that at some point. Uh, you can also find my work on Drive Through RPG, um, which I've got a good half a dozen or more titles of various D and D supplements for the Scarred Lands. And I pretend that I know a heck of a lot about this property. I do not work for Onyx Path, but I love writing crap about their universe and playing in their in their sandbox. So, <laughs> um, and my website is morelikethisindustries.com. Nice. And I am Jerry Hochalter. Uh, you can find me on uh, Twitter at WHPubs, on Facebook, and here on Twitch at WH Publications. Um, follow along here on Twitch uh, every Friday. Well, currently every Friday we're doing this. Next week we'll be doing Vesh. Um, that's all I'm going to say this week because my voice is going out. So I will see you all next time. Bye. Bye.